back of a bear to record this week's 186th episode of the show before the show podcast. But here we are, three strikes starting in a moment. Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra. Hello, Sam. Hello. It, everybody's joining us like in media res and they don't know it, <laughs> which is always fun. Like for, for you listening at home or in your car or at work or wherever, thank you for joining us. But uh, you also like this is the start of the show for you. Coming and for us. Yeah, for us, it's it's the third segment that we've recorded today. Third segment uh, that you've recorded today. That's true. Let's, that's let's, true. Let's, it's let's, a it's a very Sam heavy episode. If that's not your thing, I apologize. And if you clear the the episode out of your feed right now, I get it. But no, there's a lot of good stuff to look forward to. Uh, Cole Tucker interview was a lot of fun. Uh, if you don't know by the title of the episode, Cole Tucker, Pirates Prospect, is our guest this week. Uh, had a fun discussion with Ben about the Colorado Springs. Excuse me, the Rocky Mountain vibes. Uh, the new Colorado Springs identity. So fun stuff to look forward to at the end. But yeah, it's been a little bit of a bear uh, getting to this point. Would you say, Tyler? I'm very annoyed. Uh, <laughs> Pirates number five prospect, by the way, as Sam noted, Cole Tucker will be on the show. You're coming up in a little bit. Um, I was so excited to join in the conversation, not only with Cole Tucker, but uh, especially with Benjamin Hill, uh, because I have so many thoughts regarding the Rocky Mountain vibes. And then the good folks at... Um, I don't want to throw any company under the bus. We'll just say rhymes with Schmomcast. Um, you know, uh, it's, uh, you pay a certain amount of money for the Internet every month and uh, doesn't work half the time. And uh, sometimes it just waits until you're getting set to record a podcast before being like, no, no, not today, friend. <laughs> not not this so, moment. You we literally, I was counting in to us recording. I had given the, you guys ready? And I was getting set to count in to us recording the segment with Ben, and then my internet just dropped. And that was an hour and a half ago. So uh, so Sam has knocked out uh, an interview with Cole Tucker. He's knocked out the conversation with Ben. And, uh, you know, I didn't get a chance to give my takes on the Rocky Mountain vibes. You know, we'll save that for the end. How about yeah, that? Yeah, we can do it at the end. We'll, we'll tease everybody out, and that'll be a good lead out because yeah. – well, just coming off our, our discussion with Ben, we'll go into Tyler's feelings yeah. as the Rocky Mountain correspondent, the, or excuse me, Rocky Mountain bureau chief. Bureau chief, thank you. Yes. Thank you, Sam. Um, yeah. So with that, we have welcome in episode, episode number 186 of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. We're talking all things minor league baseball. My name is Tyler Mond. His name is Sam Dykstra. Thanks for tuning in. Wherever you found us, you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription. Maybe, unless you have Schmomcast internet, and then you might not be able to reach anything uh, in order to be able to give a review. But if you do uh, give a review, give us a nice one. You can get in touch with the show as well, podcast at MILB.com, and uh, we'll get started on three strikes. We haven't recorded in a couple weeks. We were um, texting back and forth this morning, and uh, I actually had the thought, when was the last time we did a podcast, which was only two weeks ago, but for some reason feels like forever ago. Um, but we're getting started on really some news from the last couple of weeks and uh one big story that went up on the site last week last tuesday we're recording this on wednesday november 28th the tuesday before thanksgiving the 21st of november was the deadline 8 p.m eastern time on tuesday for prospects to be added to their respective major league organizations 40-man rosters if not certain prospects will be available to be picked in the rule five draft this year which will take place on december 13th at the winter meetings in las vegas nevada and uh sam a lot of big talents placed onto uh 40-man rosters a lot of interesting prospects not put on 40-man rosters uh, but uh give us a, a rundown of what happened last monday into tuesday yeah so um as tyler laid out there players are, are rule five eligible if they signed at age 18 or younger and they've been in the minor leagues for five seasons or more uh or if they signed after signed or drafted at age 19 or older and have been in pro ball for four seasons or more. Um, so, you know, because teams have to do research for rule five and everything, it's not like on rule five morning, you can just show up and say like, Oh no, we protected him last night. You can't take him. Uh, there's a hard and fast rule five protection deadline. That was Tuesday, November 20th at 8 PM Eastern time. So throughout the day we had, you know, teams announcing, uh, who was, who they were protecting, who they were adding to the 40-man, making some other moves. Uh, there were some interesting uh, prospect crunches. Um, you know, you, you want to protect as many players as you can because you don't want to lose some of these players to to 40 uh, to the Rule Five draft. Um, but that means you have to drop some others from 
the 40-man roster. Uh, one of the interesting ones was the San Diego Padres, who you don't necessarily think of as a team right now with a loaded major league roster. Uh, but at the same time, they had limits on how many they could add uh, from, you know, add to their 40-man roster. They ended up adding four ranked prospects. Uh, Chris Paddock, who, you know, was our Milby winner for starter starting pitcher of the year. An easy add there. Anderson Espinoza, former top 100 prospect, hasn't pitched the last two years after undergoing Tommy John surgery, but still has a considerable ceiling. You don't want to lose him. And, you know, rule five picks, it's, it's become kind of a recent trend. If a guy is coming off a major surgery, you take him anyways, you let him rehab and just see how it works. Um, you're allowed to rehab them in the minor leagues. They still have to pitch a certain amount of games in the majors or be on the roster in the majors uh, before they can officially stick. Um, but, you know, guys like Daniel Winkler uh, have been taken that way in the past. Um, so Espinoza, you might think like, oh, he hasn't been around in a while. Padres still want to protect him. Austin Aller, Allen, a catching prospect, their number 25 guy, bat first catcher, uh, but looking major league ready. Played a lot of the year at double A hit 22 home runs and Edward Olivares uh, their number 28 prospect would be ranked much higher in many other systems kind of toolsy guy hit 12 home runs this year at class A advanced um, so the Padres having a, a little bit more of a, a prospect roster crunch than expected was interesting to follow um, but not a lot of huge surprises I would say certainly not amongst top 100 prospects guys like Mitch Keller got protected Paddock like I mentioned you know uh, Franklin Perez getting protected by the Tigers, Dylan Cease getting protected by the White Sox, Michael Chavis getting protected by the Red Sox, even coming after a rough year in, he in which he was suspended 80 games, uh, hit really well at AA and AAA. You don't want to let him get away. So if you're looking for really, really, really big names uh, going into the Rule 5 draft, they're just not going to be there. Uh, but there are some interesting ones. We'll get into them as we get closer to the winter meetings in Vegas in a couple weeks. Um, Josh Ockamy, you know, pops out to me uh first base prospect in the red sox system played at both double a AA and triple a thought there was a chance they might add him um but they ended up not doing that because you know they just brought back steve pierce uh mitch moreland still on the roster sam travis still on the roster you protect akami but where is he going to be he's first base only he's not going to get time at other positions maybe like sam travis has playing the outfield a little bit um so they let him be available he's still in the organization but he's still able to be picked Riley, Riley Farrell in the Houston Astros organization hard thrower feels like somebody that a, a team might be willing to take on uh, as a risk you know for a bullpen arm we'll see how that kind of works out but we'll get more into the uh, rule five expectations and, and guys who are eligible for that who weren't protected as we get closer to the rule five draft uh, if you want to look for a full list of ranked prospects who were protected uh, go to the main site we still have it as of right now in our news index uh pretty easy to find we had a full table that was running on tuesday november 20th uh all the ranked prospects and some non-ranked guys who got protected so uh check that out if you're still wondering who is on your favorite team's 40-man roster but uh that always spices things up a little bit uh going into what can be kind of a downtime in, in terms of the off season so you can check that out on the site right now it's from last tuesday and uh, figure out what your team did ahead of the Rule of Five draft. Uh, strike two this week. We already had uh, one relatively large trade as far as prospects go. Maybe uh, one of the biggest ones as far as prospects go for the offseason. We're obviously very early on, but not often that we see the number 31 overall prospect in baseball moved. And that's exactly what happened when the Seattle Mariners and the New York Yankees agreed to a trade. Seattle landed the uh, number 31 overall prospect in baseball. That is left-hander Justice Sheffield, who is headed from the Yankees to the Seattle Mariners um, as part of a deal that included right-handed pitching prospect Eric Swanson and minor league outfielder Dom Thompson, all headed from the Yankees to the Mariners in exchange for Mariners, former left-handed Mariners pitcher James Paxton, now lefty on the Yankees rotation. Um, Big deal in terms of where Justice Sheffield is headed. Uh, you trade a, a guy with a very promising future in Major League Baseball for a guy who has already proven himself at the Major League level if you're the Yankees and you're acquired James Paxton. Um, but for this deal for the Mariners from their perspective, and, you know, it's the offseason, so the Mariners are going to be dealing nonstop. Um, what does this mean? And is Justice Sheffield going to be the highest guy that we see moved this offseason? Yeah, so I'll get to that part in a little bit, and then we can have a little bit of fun with predicting who might be per, uh, might be traded as some of the more 
uh, you know, prominent moves still come, especially in that Mariners organization with everything that's being talked about right now. Um, but just to go back to the trade, uh, this felt light to me when it when the trade happened. James Paxton, uh, at, when he is healthy, and, and this is a guy who, you know, at, at times struggles to stay on the mound. I get that. Uh, he's yet to have a 200-inning season. Uh, but he still has two arbitration years left, so he's very controllable. He's, you know, not asking for – he's not going to get tons and tons of money. He's not getting free agent money. This isn't Robinson Cano we're talking about in terms of uh, putting financial strain on an organization. So I thought he could get a, a considerable package back, and, and getting Justice Sheffield obviously is a good get. Uh, you know, he automatically became the number one prospect in the Mariner system. He becomes – uh, the only top 100 prospect in that system. So, you know, for a farm system that needs to be built up a little bit, Sheffield moves into that role. He could be, you know, major league ready. He's definitely going to be competing for a, a rotation spot this spring uh, after getting the call last year, pitched exclusively out of the bullpen for the Yankees. That's because that's where they needed the help. Um, didn't make postseason rosters, but still got a little bit of taste of that. So he's already on the, uh, he's already on the, the 40 man and all that. Um, but I thought they could have gotten, you know, somebody a little bit better than Eric Swanson, who, you know, Swanson's coming off a very good year uh, right now. But his ceiling might be as a number five, number four starter if, if things all go well. Uh, you know, this year he posted a 2.66 ERA in the minors with 139 strikeouts and only 29 walks and 121 two-thirds innings. Um, but you're hoping for a four or five starter out of that. Dom Thompson-Williams, you know, had a – a good year in the FSL, but he's 23 now. Uh, he was a fifth round pick out of college in 2016. So the fact that, you know, he just got to class A advanced this year isn't great. Um, you know, do, do these three guys make the marriage system better? Absolutely. You know, like I mentioned, Sheffield is now their top prospect. Swanson's now, now number nine. Thompson Williams is now number 14. He was unranked for the Yankees. Uh, gives you a little bit of what, you know, the Mariner system was before this, that he can go from unranked to number 14. Um, but, you know, some of the other things that were being mentioned out there is that the, the Astros were looking for help. They were talking about James Paxton and the Astro or the Mariners were asking for like Kyle Tucker or Forrest Whitley back. And they said no to that. That might've been shooting for the moon, but I still feel like there were better packages out there than one top 100 prospect, a possible swing man, and maybe at best a fourth outfielder at the major league level. Um, but you know, this was the signal that the Mariners are kind of in sell mode. They they are looking to enrich their system and get a little younger, um, you know, get a, a little deeper in the in the farm system. Um, bringing in Sheffield certainly is going to help with that. Uh, I'll be really interested to see it, does he get a real chance. I think he should get a chance to compete out of the starting rotation this year. I know some people immediately after the trade, and this is always funny. Uh, once a trade happens. Either, you know, after prospects get praised to the hilt, uh, you know, before a trade, the second a trade happens now, everybody comes out and says, well, he's got some command issues. Yes, we've always said that with him. He does have some command issues. Those could lead to the bullpen for him. But there's no doubt that he's a major league player. Uh, what role we'll have to see. But I do think he has a chance, a real chance, you know, given his velocity, given his slider and a chance for an above average changeup to be a number three starter uh, for years to come. And that's something, you know, the Mariners are going to need if this is going to be a multi-year rebuild. I uh, just thought that they could get something else a little bit more, at, especially out of the Yankee system that, yes, it's not as deep as it once was, you know, this time last year. A lot of that has to do with graduations, um, but could have gotten a little bit more better of a second piece, I think, than Eric Swanson. Um, but, you know, Jerry Depoto loves trades. We've said that for years and years now. Um, so this is just the first shoe to drop, and surely more is about to come. Strike three this week, Sam. We are headed toward uh, the really the middle stretches now of some winter leagues um, in Latin America, Australia, um, elsewhere around the globe. And uh, we've seen some really good already performances early on in the season uh, from some guys like Fernando Tatis Jr. who's now playing at home in the Dominican Republic and hit a couple of home runs in a game the other day. Uh, but there are a lot of guys uh, all across the globe who are taking part in Winter League ball right now. Um, who are you keeping an eye on in the Winter Leagues? Yeah, so I, I did a tool shed on Tuesday about this, and I, I didn't do it necessarily for, like, here are guys who, um, you know, 
are performing well so far in the, the winter league. Uh, yes, you could write that up. And I think pipeline has a version of that, which is great. Uh, Fernando Tatis obviously is one of those. Josh Jackson wrote a piece over the weekend about how he, you know, he's done really well in, in the power department. Um, you know, this winter after coming off an injury that knocked him out for much of the second half. That's great to see. But when I'm looking at the winter league, I'm looking more for guys who have something to prove. I mean, they're not just there to eat up games and, and, you know, get a little extra game time in during the off season. Most of the time back home for some of these guys, whether they live in the Dominican, Venezuela, Mexico, or Puerto Rico. Um, But somebody, some of these prospects who have, you know, something that they have to show here going into the spring. Um, so that's what the the idea of this tool shed was. And one of those guys at that point that kind of sticks out to me is Albert Abreu, um, continually just having injury riddled seasons in that Yankee system this year. It was kind of a lost year for him. He had an appendectomy. He had right elbow inflammation, uh, was only limited 72 and two thirds innings. OK, so now he's going back to the Dominican playing for Tigres Delisi. Uh, you know, trying to show that, yes, he can stay healthy for a longer period and also that his high octane stuff is still going to play uh, as he adds innings. He, you know, he's somebody who can hit the upper 90s, potentially triple digits with that fastball. Uh, and, and so far, so good. As of when I wrote this, he had a 1.50 ERA, 1.17 whip through 18 innings. Uh, you know, is the Dominican Winter League great competition it can be i mean you know fernando tatis jr's there um you know good things can happen there uh it's not necessarily triple a competition by any means but uh the fact that he's holding his own there so far it you know he's answering questions the way he should be uh kind of looking at the opposite end of the spectrum uh jorge mateo former top 100 prospect also from the yankee system got traded uh in the sunny gray trade which someday I feel like we're going to look back on that. And right now it's worrisome for all sides. Yeah. Uh, Dustin Fowler hasn't looked great necessarily in Oakland. James Caprillion hasn't even pitched for Oakland yet as he's dealing with his own injury issues. Uh, Jorge Mateo, he, his stock took a drop. He's no longer a top 100 prospect. He had just a 230, 280, 353 slash line this year. Uh, his 62 WRC plus was 64th. In the Pacific Coast League, there were only 66 qualified batters. Not great. Still has top-of-the-line speed. Uh, that's going to help him at shortstop. I remember the Yankees tried giving him some time in center field. Oakland has only allowed him to play in in the infield so far. Um, but he's you know playing for Toros del Este in the Dominican Republic. This is a chance for him to show, listen, yeah, my bat didn't show up in my first taste of AAA, but it still can. There's still some value there. Um through 18 games he had still struggled he was nine for 50 with two doubles in 18 games uh the good news is he's walking as much as he's striking out he had 10 walks 10 strikeouts and a 328 obp so some stuff to be taken out of that it's only 18 games kind of a small sample but i'm going to continue to watch jorge mateo and see if he can show any value with the bat otherwise he's going to be uh kind of a pinch runner extraordinaire he'll get to the majors at some point in that way because you know, as we see with the Quentin Berries of the world, you're always going to want to call up guys who you can use in the later innings just to get, you know, stolen bases here and there. Um, but if is he going to be a regular at all at any point in his major league career? That's going to be based on the bat, and that's something he's got to show this winter uh, in the Dominican Republic. So there's some other names on this list that I had. You can go. Uh, story got posted on Tuesday. Uh, Delvin Perez in the Cardinal system, somebody who's yet to be. Uh, featured in full season ball after being a first round pick a couple of years back. Uh, he's another name on that list. Um, you can keep going through it, but uh, check that out. It was Tuesday's tool shed. So that is three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show as uh, we roll along into the off season and winter meetings coming up in just about two weeks. So things will start getting probably crazier, although after the off season of 2017 and 2018, who knows anymore? Um, but uh, that is three strikes for this week's episode 186. Coming up, it's the All Sam Dykstra Show next. Uh, <laughs> Cole Tucker, the Pittsburgh Pirates coming up and then Sam and Ben after that. And uh, I'll rejoin you on the other side. Cole Tucker for the Pittsburgh Pirates next. Joining us this week on the Minor League Baseball podcast is number five Pirates prospect Cole Tucker, who's not just calling in during the offseason, taking some time for us, but calling in from Italy, from Rome, Italy, which makes this episode have a little bit more of an international flavor than we're used to. Uh, Cole, thanks so much for joining us and uh, joining us from so far away. 
Yeah, no problem, man. It's just a phone call away. So, yeah, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor. Yeah, it's the beauty of uh, modern technology, I guess. So so why Italy? We'll start with there. <laughs> why did you choose Italy? Uh, you know, we were talking a little bit before we you know, started recording here is, uh, you know, you got to take your vacations whenever you can get them. But what drew you to Rome and Italy uh, to take this vacation? Yeah, so really no reason. So I'm here with my older brother, and uh, we've never really been to Europe. Actually, my older brother's been to Spain, but I've never been to Europe. So we're just here kind of bouncing around. We're here in Italy this week, and then we're going to Spain this weekend. And uh, we're actually going to go to Morocco and Africa next week. So we're, we're just kind of bouncing around and seeing the sights and just going wherever we want to go. We don't really have any plans or obligations, so we're just kind of having fun with it. There you go. Yeah, what's the standout of the trip so far? Um, we've only been here two days, but the food is like mind blowing. Um, we had some pizza today for lunch that was a joke. Like it was so good. <laughs> um, last night we had this really cool Italian dinner too. Um, and uh, today, like we got to go around and see the sights and stuff. And like just the fact that all these buildings, like the Colosseum and all that, were built so long ago and like still standing, and they did it all without cranes and stuff. It's pretty like remarkable. Just like everything's just pretty impressive, to be honest. Yeah, so I gotta ask this: What's your go-to pasta order then? Oh, so I, ironically, like I'm in Italy, which is, and this is super idiotic, but I don't like tomatoes. Like I like tomato sauce, but like big chunky tomatoes, I just can't do for whatever reason. I'm a super picky eater, so I really like stuff with pesto in it. Okay. So that's definitely my go-to. Anything with pesto. Yeah, no, there you go. I mean, that's perfectly legit. Um, so yeah, so I. I we wanted to bring you on this week because uh, so much has gone on for you in this offseason already. Just eight days ago, uh, the Pirates announced that they were adding you to the 40-man roster, protecting you from the Rule 5 draft. Uh, what was that experience like? How did you hear about that? And were there any nerves going into that? I mean, obviously, like I said, your number five prospect, well thought of in the organization, but it's not official until it's official. So what is that process like hearing about being added uh, to the roster in that way? Yeah, so it is super. It is kind of stressful, like you said. Like I'm a, I'm a prospect and all that, and that's well and good, and it's really cool. But like, it, it you never know until you know. Obviously, like everyone's saying, I was going to get protected, and like that's super cool. But you want to hear from the horse's mouth. And like, ironically, that day I got like a little nervous for whatever reason, just because like I hadn't gotten a phone call yet. Like no one, no one said anything. Like my agent was telling me I was going to get protected and all that, which is great. But, like, you want to get that call. So I'm in a movie that day on that Tuesday or whatever it was, and uh, I get a phone call from the Pittsburgh number, and I sprint out of this movie theater. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm running as fast as I can. Like, Jose Reyes, Kenny Lofton, out of this movie theater. And uh, I pick it up, and it's our team president. It was Frank Coonley, and he was just calling to, like, say what's up and uh, congratulate me on, like, having a good fall and stuff and just catching up, you know, see you soon, really proud of you. And uh, that was it. Like I was, I was waiting for like the and we're putting you on the forty band, and it just like didn't come. So hung up the phone. It was super cool to get the call from Frank because he's obviously the team president, like head honcho. But uh, I was like, oh damn, all right, never mind. And then uh, I just went about my day, and then uh, I got a call. Or then I was out at lunch with a buddy of mine from uh, from middle school, and I got the call from uh, Larry Broadway, our contractor, and he told me, and he's like, yeah, like not a huge surprise but like just wanted to call and congratulate you and let you know so like it was like a weight lifted off my shoulder so i was expecting it but like i can get in my own head sometimes and i would just kind of freak myself out but it's a cool story yeah no for sure <laughs> i wish somebody would have gotten to frank to say like hey this is maybe not the best day to call about this unless you have other news <laughs> but that's all right uh you yeah, got it no, eventually it's cool it's cool and how much is that on your mind no during the season going into this? I mean, you know, you get sent to the Fall League, you played all year at AA Altoona, uh, played 133 games, knowing that this was a possibility at the end of the year. Uh, you know, at what point does this enter your mind that, you know, this is something you're playing for throughout the season? Um, It's like, it's something that you're playing for, but it, at the end of the day, like, when you're in the season and you're playing those 133 games, like you said, like, you're focused on hitting the ball and catching it and throwing and like you're I'm caught up in the game and like I can I can think about getting called up or I can think about getting put on the forty man, but that's it's like I said earlier, like it, it's just only gonna get in my own way. So I try to block out that noise and just play my game. But like in the off season, like you have so much idle time to think about stuff like that. So I, like I said, I like when I was at the movie theaters I was I was thinking about it. But like during the season I try to not let it clog up my brain. 
Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, so, yeah, we also want to talk to you because you are coming off a very strong fall league. Uh, you played 20 games for surprise there, hitting 370, which was third best in the AFL. Uh, one of the more impressive things for me is that your walks and strikeouts were equal, both with 12, leading to a 442 OBP. Uh, those were better numbers than you put up during the regular season. What were you working on during the fall league uh, that kind of led to this uptick in production You know, down there in Arizona? Uh Coming off the season, like I hit like 260, not as great as I struck, um, and I really just wanted to like provide foundation in the box and just like really focus on staying in my legs and like essentially just driving the baseball, hitting the baseball hard, not necessarily trying to hit it in the air or trying to like hit home runs because it's just like not my game. Unfortunately, it'd be really cool if it was, but it's not. And I've accepted it, but. Um, <laughs> Um, I was just trying to like do damage and hit the ball hard and like when I say do damage I mean like in a way where it's just hard contact all over the place left field right field center field right-handed or left-handed doesn't really matter just trying to do damage and that's really all I went into the fall league thinking about like I didn't have any expectations for numbers I know historically like some guys go there and struggle like guys don't have crazy sexy numbers but um, I just wanted to focus on that and that's all I kind of hung my hat on and it, and it turned into a lot of success a lot of a lot of hard contact a lot of hits obviously and um i just wanted to be reliable and uh at shortstop and obviously like i love making cool plays at short but just going in and making the routine play at short like that's that's what that's what my job is and that's what i did so uh it was ultimately a success but that was that was kind of the the thought process behind the whole thing yeah and at what point did you feel like that approach change had really clicked in and was really bring results was that something that happened even before the fall league something like an instructs or something like that or when did you feel really comfortable that hey this is this approach is really working for me now um so started uh started like thinking about it and talking about it with our people with the pirates and my coaches and people that i trust like in the in the middle of the season like i was struggling really bad in may and then uh, kind of like tapped into it like leading into the second half and i had a pretty strong second half um, kind of dug myself out of the hole and ended up all right. Um, so yeah, I started um, started with that, like staying in my legs and having a good foundation. Um, probably in July, um, when it started kind of clicking for me and working for me, and uh, carried that over and got some really good work in with uh, with our people down in Bradenton and Instructs for the time I was down there before Arizona, and then just kind of carried it over and just stuck to it. And, and I was stubborn about it. And, had a lot of success. Like I was, I was hitting the ball really, really, really hard. So that was fun. Yeah, and, and beyond just the numbers that we talked about, you also came away from the fall league with the Darnell Stenson Award, which is given out to guys who stand out in both sportsmanship and work ethic. Uh, what did that award mean to you, getting that at the the end and, and being you know awarded for that way, not just for your play on the field, but also what everybody got to see from you off it? Yeah, man, that was that was really cool. Honestly, like I I'd be. I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't super proud of that award. Um, just because, like, the Fall League is such a prestigious place and a prestigious league. And uh, for me, being from Phoenix, like, doing it at home and being honored and recognized and, and getting to play in front of my friends and family literally every day was, uh, was so cool. And there's so many good people that I ran into, not only on my team, but other teams. Like, I, I gained a ton of friends in the Fall League. Like, the running joke is that I'm the mayor of Arizona and I know everybody. <laughs> But like playing in this league at home was super fun, and to to win that award, it was nominated by my peers and, and coaches and people around the league that uh, that played with and against me. It was like super, super, super special. Like I was I was moved when I found out that I was even nominated for it. Then when I when I won, it was just an ice and I hate. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought up being from phoenix because i was going to ask uh what was the piece of advice specific to phoenix or arizona that you were giving out to guys the most while you were down there <laughs> um it, it depends on where guys were from like uh but mostly like eat as much mexican food as you can man um, <laughs> and uh, uh and uh just just find a happy medium but but the fall league's like a super cool laid-back experience like guys are there to get their work in and it's such an elite level of like talent um that's there playing and uh it was just fun to to get to play with those guys but then like on our days off and and nights off getting to hang out and, and do stuff with those guys was really cool it's just a really cool experience if we could like bottle that up and make that 
how it is in the summertime. Like, the game would be so much fun. Like, it, it, the game is fun, don't get me wrong, but, like, the Fall League, it just seems like it. there's just, like, laid-backness to it for whatever reason. But there's still a level of seriousness, but it, it's just a really cool vibe. I don't really know how to describe it. I'm doing a really terrible job. No, that's fine. I, I was going to ask if, if you could expand on that a little. What do you feel like... Is it just because it, you know it's finite, you know it's short, and uh, you're playing with guys you've never played with before, and you know it's not as much of a drag? Or where do you feel like that that fun nature of it comes from? I don't know. I think I think it's like the newness of it. You know, like when you're in school, um, like the first week is really exciting, and and like the whole school year isn't that exciting. But maybe maybe it is because it's finite and it's not 140 something games. Like you know, you're there for this six week period. And that's all you got and it's going to come and go and you want to show out so like guys are really motivated to perform obviously so it is intense like if you're facing a nate pearson or uh boris whitley like you you get amped up for those games just because they're big names um or if you're a pitcher and you're throwing against like vladdy or lucius fox like there's these big names that everybody knows and sees on twitter all the time like guys get amped up for that and then like when you're not at the field you're or when you're not playing, you're in the clubhouse with a bunch of dudes from teams that you've never played with before. And uh, there's a ton of, like, friendships to be made. And then on off days, like, everyone finds the same place to go and everyone's hanging out. Like, it, it's just a really cool vibe. And um, I think it is because it's so short. Like, everyone's trying to stuff in so much fun and so much experience into this one time. And everyone's trying to play really well because it is short. It comes and goes. So um, I think that that might be what it is. Yeah, and, and coming from those conversations that you had with so many different players from different organizations, and especially that surprise team that I feel was pretty loaded with top talent, what's something that you're going to take away from the Fall League, uh, a conversation with somebody, with a coach, with a player, what have you, and carry it forward with you this off season, going into next spring and next season? Yeah, um, uh, a bunch of stuff. Like, I really, I really, really, really loved our manager and, like, the tone that he sets. Um, Stubby Clapp, he just got the first base coach job with the Cardinals. Um, I'm jealous for those guys. He's a, he's a great dude, great coach. He was fun to play for. Um, he, just set, he just set the tone in a really, in a really positive, um, like, go-getter way. Um, I talked to uh, Kevin Biggio a ton about, like, hitting an approach and mindset in the box, and so I'm going to take some stuff away from that from him. Nick Heath with the Royals absolutely flies and I'm, I'm going to take a bunch of stuff from him like as a base runner and a base stealer just techniques and and thoughts and counts to steal on and stuff so um there's, there's so much knowledge walking around in the fall league like every every team's coordinators popping in everyone's front office is popping in of all the best players from each of these um organizations are there there's just so much to to take away like i could i could bore you for 30 minutes on stuff that i learned from people <laughs> in the fall league well, well, let's get a little bit more into your history. Uh, some people might know, some people might not know. You were supposed to, I think, go to the Fall League last year uh, before a hand-thumb injury uh, got in the way there. You've gone through shoulder injuries in the past that uh, have held you back. Uh, what do you take mm -hmm. away from those experiences? And uh, you know, what, what is it like going through big injuries like that and having to get back up and, and uh, you know continue to put – up results like you have the last couple of years. What what have those injuries taught you over the last you know five seasons in the minor leagues? I mean, it's it's just showed me that like baseball and life is tough sometimes. Like when you're in high school, you get drafted, you're a first round pick. Like baseball's never really been hard. And then you go to the Sally League and you run into a guy at first base and you tear your labrum and you slide into Ryan Mountcastle's foot and you break your hand and you miss the fall league. Like these things pop up and there's stuff that you can't control um and it sucks but you just got to bounce back from it and just be resilient and that's what it's taught me just like with a game like you're going to get punched in the mouth sometimes like there's going to be days and weeks where you can't hit or you can't throw or you just suck you know and it's terrible but it's the game it's what makes it so rewarding when it's good um so like if i could tell 18 year old cole tucker like what to expect i would just say like just be ready for whatever just be ready to roll with the punches and like i wouldn't change the way i play to like avoid injuries because i play hard and that's been like the reason why i've gotten hurt which sucks but um like i wouldn't i wouldn't tell myself to change that because it's made me who i am and it makes me a way better player yeah very cool and coming off that shoulder injury uh you know 
shoulder is something you need to throw. Normally we talk about that with pitchers, but shortstop, mm-hmm. you know, your arm's pretty demanding at, at that position, especially if you're going to stick there like a lot of people think you are. How long did it, the rehab process take from that, and when did you feel like you were making full throws again? So the rehab process, like getting back into games, I kind of rushed it. Um, because I was like so eager to play again. Usually, like when I had surgery, they said like, yeah, like a smart recovery. He would be like, ten to twelve months, and I was back playing in like seven to nine, like an idiot. But I mean, I was young and I healed fast, and I got my range of motion back. So I was pushing it. Obviously, I want to play. I want to go perform and and continue to move through the minor leagues. Um, but like, I wasn't a hundred percent yet. Like the shoulder wasn't all the way back, and there were some question marks about my arm and. Uh, in the past like year or so year and a half like i feel like i've kind of um corrected that and my arms gotten a ton stronger it's just a testament to like the work that that me and the guys have put in in the training room and the weight room and just like ultimately being smart about it and just focusing on having good backspin and carry on my throws and i feel like my arm is is back and it's better than it was before like i i feel really good about where my arm strength is right now um, and obviously with having a, a repaired labrum, it's something that I have to stay on and continue to uh, continue to uh, strengthen or else it'll go away. But it's something that, that I take pride in. And moving on to one of your other best tools, some would say maybe your best tool is your speed. You know, you're coming off a 35 steal season this year. You stole 47 bags in 2017. Uh, I think you have 126 career stolen bases obviously you're going to be a threat on the base pass i want to go a little bit further back when did you know you were fast um maybe like senior year of high school junior year of high school i wasn't like that fast until i kind of grew into my legs i was kind of like awkward like my legs were too long for my body like freshman sophomore like junior senior year i got really fast and then, um, like, in the Sally League, I stole, like, 20-something bases um, in, in not that many games, maybe, like, 70 games. And I, I was like, okay, like, I can I can steal. And I kind of got that confidence and that swagger that I could do it. Cool. So we'll end on this one. Um, like we talked about at the opening, you know, you're now on the 40-man roster. Uh, you know, things are going to be a little bit different. You're no longer just a non-roster invitee to spring training. You're a full roster invitee. You get your own locker, all that kind of stuff going to Bradenton in the spring. How does this roster spot change your offseason, change your outlook going into spring, knowing that, A, you are given a very legit chance to make the roster, and, B, even if that doesn't happen, you're still only just a call away? Yeah, um, I would say that it doesn't, like, change anything as far as my preparation goes, um, but it definitely gives you, like, a little plug of confidence um, just knowing that um, they don't have to clear a roster spot for me to get up to Pittsburgh. Like, that that's a really cool thing. Obviously, I've got to continue to work and grow, and when they think I'm ready, I'll be ready. But um, it, it, it gives you a little kick in the butt. Like, it's like, whoa, like, hey, we're, we're kind of close, man. Like, let's do this. It gives you, like, a little bit of a jolt. Um, but as far as like preparation goes, I'm going to do the same stuff. And uh, obviously with this shorter off season, um, there's a bit of a time crunch to get back in the gym once I get home from this trip and uh, continue to get stronger just so I can show up ready to go in February when we, uh, when we started up in Bradenton. Yeah, what's the one thing you're going to identify as the thing you need to work on this spring to, to make that jump and, and have that call come potentially at some point in 2019? Um, uh, honestly, kind of going back to what we talked about, um, in the fall league and in the second half of the season, like if I, if I can stay in my legs and do damage and have consistent at bats and have a consistent approach in the box, I'm going to be a really good everyday player. Um, cause I think I'm reliable at shortstop to be that everyday guy. I think that it's going to come down to how good my approach is and what I do with, with the balls in the zone that I should be driving. All right, we'll we'll leave it at that. We'll let you get back to the Italian nights or whatever you guys are going to be doing out there in Rome tonight and the rest of your trip, which sounds amazing, by the way. Two continents, multiple countries. Uh, you think there's going to be a lot of people jealous back here. But, Cole, thanks so much for joining us and taking the time, and uh, enjoy the rest of the trip and the rest of the offseason. Awesome. I appreciate it. You do the same. Uh, take care. Thanks for having me. All right, well, now we're going to roll into the segment we have every week when we do have a podcast. We didn't have one last week. We have one this week uh, with Ben Hill, who I'm going to jump in and say is to my right. I don't think 
I've ever said that before, introducing where you are sitting relative to me. But, you know, it's a new time. So, uh, yeah, you're sitting to my right this week. Welcome in, Ben. How are you? Wow, I never – this makes me feel guilty. I never looked at things from your perspective. So <laughs> you were to my left. I never looked at – I never considered that you would experience things different from me. And I'll try to take that as a lesson going forward to be uh, more – thoughtful and empathetic as regards to the experiences of others. Yeah, I was going to say that's a good lesson as we enter the holiday season, coming out of Thanksgiving, going into Christmas, Hanukkah, every holiday, winter solstice, whatever you want to call it. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we have a lot of catching up to do, I feel like, since we weren't here last week. Uh, a couple of big news, or one big piece of news broke, obviously, in the form of the Rocky Mountain vibes, uh, as we have discussed on the podcast before. AAA Colorado Springs moving to San Antonio. Uh, rookie level Helena moving to Colorado Springs. So Colorado Springs Sky Sox are no more. Moving into their place are the Rocky Mountain Vibes, which was not one of the final options uh, that we learned about, especially from you who, who were there, who was there uh, in Colorado Springs this year as they were presenting some of their options. Rocky Mountain Vibes, a little bit out of left field, but uh, you put together the story on this. Tell us a little bit about the background of the Vibes. The Rocky Mountain Vibes. Yeah, you're right. Um, I was in Colorado Springs in September uh, for the last uh, games in Sky Sox history. You know, Colorado Springs was a triple-A team, um, obviously, from 1988 all the way through 2017. And uh, when I was in Colorado Springs, uh, I was told by the front office they had made their selection. They did not divulge it to me, but they seemed happy and confident about the direction they were going. Um, so I was surprised when they announced the name and it was the Rocky Mountain Vibes, which was not one of the five finalists. Uh, we have a precedent for this, which was, if you recall last year, the Gwinnett Stripers. Mm -hmm. They did not have Stripers as one of their finalists, and um, the rationale was that they had gone way down the road with Big Mouths, a, another bass reference, bass fishing reference. Um, and. Uh, the more they thought about Big Mouths, they just didn't want to be called the Big Mouths because it was a mouthful, so to speak. You know, Big Mouths. Hello, this is Big Mouths baseball. It just didn't really fit, so they went with Stripers. And I think you have something similar here, not necessarily with the way the name rolled off the tongue, but Colorado Springs really liked um, Happy Campers, as one of, which was one of the finalists. So they went way down the road uh, with the Happy Campers identity. And um, the, but the more they thought about it, you know, they like that still implies you know, camping specifically. And I guess what I was talking to the GM, Chris Phillips, and he said, we just more like the idea of happy campers of just people. Uh, Colorado is a very transient state. There's a lot of people who grew up elsewhere and people in, in Colorado seem to be happy campers. They like to live in Colorado. So it's more of a state of mind. Um, you know, so what is that state of mind that makes you a happy camper? What, what makes you happy living in Colorado? It's those Rocky Mountain vibes. So that is kind of the rationale with this. And so it, there's kind of a, a vaguely camping-themed uh, identity here. Uh, the, you got Toasty Vibes, the, uh, the mascot and uh, one of the main logos, who is an anthropomorphic s'more. Uh, you know, he's got... Is he an anthropomorphic s'more or an anthropomorphic marshmallow who is, like, wearing is good, a graham cracker and chocolate? Good point, Sam. Um, he could be seen as... Where does Toasty end and where does he begin? That's a good... So, so Toasty, yeah, his face and a big portion of his body is a marshmallow that's on fire. His hair is on... Like, he doesn't have hair unless he has... He's on fire. The right. flames are his hair and he's wearing sunglasses. And then he has graham cracker sleeves, essentially, and chocolate on the inside of those sleeves. So the question is, is that all part of his body? Uh, that when he was born and grew up, did he always have those graham, crab, graham cracker and chocolate components? Or is he a marshmallow who accessorized to the point where then he became a s'more? I think that's yeah. open for interpretation. But you got Toasty Vibes. He is a s'more in essence. Maybe he's an anthropomorphic marshmallow who became a s'more. But regardless, that's Toasty Vibes. You've got um, you know the main logo which is a, a stick, like a camping stick, the kind of stick that you put a marshmallow on uh, with vibes spelled out in flames. Uh, the only real reference to Colorado Springs specifically is one of the logos with a bite taken out of a marshmallow that represents the sea next to a flaming S. 
And uh, you might look at that and not see the CS immediately, but uh, it's there. And then once you see it, you're like, oh, well, how did I, how did I miss that? Right. And then there's another logo that just incorporates the C of the Colorado State flag on a marshmallow. So between the state flag logo and the name Rocky Mountain Vibes, uh, they're clearly differentiate, not differentiating themselves from Colorado Springs, but uh, moving away from that specific locality to more embody uh, the, the larger region in Colorado in general. And, uh, you know, I like it because just as someone who covers this all the time, you know, I feel like every week on this podcast we talked about the woodpeckers, then we talked about the uh, trash pandas, then we talked about the uh, sod poodles, and now we're talking about the vibes. And most of these new teams it ties in somehow to an underdog mentality, you know? And the logo represents a feisty underdog, which represents the people of the city. And before working in minor league baseball, I did not know that every community in America was made <laughs> up of feisty underdogs, but uh, it's good to know. Uh, so I kind of like Rocky Mountain vibes in that it's not um, representing the proverbial underdog. It is not even a living thing, no matter how ridiculous a living thing. Such no matter as, if you slap sunglasses on it and a fiery haircut. Yeah, and vibe specifically is, is not a animal. It's not a living thing. It's a state of mind. And how many teams out there represent a state of mind? You know, very few. Yeah. We could look, at, look into it. I mean, the Utah green, Jazz. Utah Jazz, I mean. Tangible things. A little this bit. This is more what I'm talking about. Yeah, Greenville Drive. Um, you know, that could be interpreted as just having drive of... of right, of, it's not the drives. Yeah. drive. So there's maybe a little precedent, but this is a, a just a unique way to brand a team. And uh, I kind of like that they went with this real Colorado uh, uh, mentality, this kind of like, hey, man, we're feeling those Rocky Mountain vibes. It kind of goes into like a you lot of these... You can't say it without saying it in that voice. No. Not you specifically. No, I mean, everybody. Anybody. Yeah. Yeah, and our colleague... Tyler Mon, who would have a lot to say about this, we've lost him on this segment due to technical difficulties, unfortunately. Right. But as a Colorado resident and native, um, you know, he would have a lot to chime in on here, uh, I'm sure, about Colorado and Rocky Mountain vibes and uh, his take as a Colorado resident. But there very much is that stereotype right now, and for the foreseeable future, they're like, "Hey, man, I'm feeling those vibes," <laughs> and uh, you know, they're going with it. I think they're going to have fun, and it, it helped that I visited Colorado Springs in September to get a sense of the front office. Um, and I, I think they really have that mentality, and they're going to have a lot of fun with this. And, of course, from a distance, it's like, you know, how could things have gotten worse for Colorado Springs baseball? First they lose the Rockies affiliation. How can you be a, color, a team in Colorado Springs and not be a Rockies affiliate? Then a couple years after that, they lose AAA, and now they're a Brewers-affiliated rookie team. So from afar, it's kind of like, man, what a dramatic uh, fall. But I think if you're the front office and if you're looking at running a team in Colorado Springs from a business perspective, to have a new fun identity, to not have to operate in what is one of the, the most difficult full season markets in terms of weather, um, I think this is where they want to be, really. And I think since the average fan is not too concerned with the quality of play, I don't see, think there'll be much of a drop-off in attendance either. Um, I mean, there'll be a drop-off of, of attendance in the sense that they're playing 38 home games instead, right. of, uh, instead of 35, or instead of uh, 70. Yeah. <laughs> My math's a little, a little <laughs> off there. I, I, instead, I, I cut 70 in half. Instead of 70, uh, so there'll be a drop-off just in that there'll be less games, but I think they'll be able to attract, you know, close to what they're doing, if not better in a lot of cases, um, you know, on a, on a per game average with this new branding. And I think a lot more fun at the ballpark in terms of the way they brand it. And uh, Chris Phillips, again, the GM was telling me, you know, about ways they'll, you know, they'll have specific areas around the stadium, you know, representing, you know, different, these different states of mind and just feeling the vibes all over the place. And it seems very likely that there will be fire pits for, uh, you know, make your own s'mores mm. stations, which is a pretty cool thing at a minor league baseball game. Yeah. And, and you touched on a little bit here, but I want to get a little bit deeper into it in terms of, um, you know, the broader appeal of something like this. I mean, they're not – they're going from the Colorado Springs, which is a very specific city, to Rocky Mountain, which is an entire region. It's much easier to sell something when, when it's an entire region. And not that just that, but, like, Vibes, I feel like, is so unique in a way that it could sell almost to the entire country. Um, you know, people all over are going to like a s'more on a hat as opposed to something that's very specific to the area. If Tyler were here, he would talk about he thought they would have gone in a militaristic way because, or a very patriotic way because of Colorado Springs and its relationship to the military. It seems like here they went with a broad appeal. How much does that affect, affect 
you know, the decision making on something like this when you're trying to sell hats to, you know, all corners of the country and even the globe, or is it just what can we do in the community? Yeah, it's a push and pull. And obviously the local market is the most important thing. So obviously the front office thinks this will resonate enough with Colorado Springs to be successful because that's the most important thing at the end of the day. But obviously there is also the consideration that if they went for something specifically Colorado Springs, and yes, there is a bit of an irony that of all the large cities in Colorado, Colorado Springs is probably the least you know, uh, the the least uh, adherent to that stereotype, it, it is a more conservative area of the country, uh, a lot of military, or of the state, a lot of uh, military. So you don't associate, when you think of Colorado and those Rocky Mountain vibes, Colorado Springs is probably not the town you'd associate that with. But it's still Colorado, it's still in the mountains, uh, there's still that, you know, Colorado mentality in the, in the area. And beyond that, and this is, again, something Chris Phillips told me, uh, is, you know, Denver's about an hour away. Boulder's not very far, and they want to draw, one, fans from that area, and two, sell merch in that area as well, um, you know, throughout the state as well as uh, throughout the nation. So they think that once they brand, you know, the whole ballpark experience around this, it's going to work with the lo- local market and is also something that translates beyond the confines of Colorado Springs as well. All right, well, transitioning now to a story that, like I said, this is basically catch-up week for us here. Um, some of the stuff we haven't had a chance to talk about on the podcast yet. This is a story that by the time you guys are listening to, this came out two weeks ago, um, but we haven't had a chance to talk about it yet. Your Ben's Best, li- Ben's Best, Ben's Best Lists. There yeah. We go. Got a third try. Uh, continue on. And, and the last one you posted uh, before we took our break for Thanksgiving was on ballpark characters. Uh, again, going level by level uh, from AAA all the way down to rookie level. Uh, take us through this, who you chose for your best ballpark characters. Yeah, Ben's Biz, best of, it rolls on. It, it is a little hard to say, a little it, bit of a tongue twister. I almost said Ben's Briss, and uh, I'm not Jewish, nor authorized to perform such uh, ceremonies. No. Ben's Biz, best of, uh, ballpark characters is the last one that ran. And, uh, you know, if you've been following this uh, series of articles, it started with uh, just best ballparks overall. I had best ballpark views, uh, had food, had mascots. Uh, it's been a fun thing to write about, uh, you know, here in a kind of dead time of the year for minor league baseball overall outside of the branding. So for characters, I just looked again level by level and just chose one person who really adds a lot to the ballpark experience. And uh, it's a fun article to write. And I think if you're listening to this podcast, you'd also enjoy the article and this whole series of articles you know but I chose individuals such as uh, Fred Costello and uh, as the AAA pick you know the Rochester Red Wings organist who's been doing it for over 40 years he wrote the uh, kitschy uh, here come the Red Wings theme song and uh, it's just great to see organ music you know incorporated the ballpark the way he does it um, some other guys I had on there we had uh, you know the crazy hot dog vendor in Reading kind of had to pick him for for double A I mean right. really uh you know, such a popular uh, character at the ballpark, throwing those Frankfurters uh, while he's riding his ostrich around. Uh, Super Churros man, Paul Cerda in uh, San Jose. Um, you know, again, like the team, uh, you know, suited up as the Churros this year. And in most cases, when you see these alternate identities based on team names, it's a food that's very specific to that region. I mean, are Churros more popular in San Jose than other parts of the country? Probably. But it's not that churros are such a San Jose specialty. It's because this guy sells them. He's that much of an icon at the ballpark. And same way with Redding. I mean, they came out with hats with the 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 ostrich man on on those. The ostrich man. man. (laughs) Crazy hot dog. Yeah, it's amazing. If you look through a list of the last decade plus of things they've given away with the crazy hot dog vendor, I mean, it's like pillowcases, alarm clocks, bobbleheads, T-shirts, hats. There is a cottage industry around the crazy hot dog vendor. Uh, Class A, again, some of the, I just, how can you pick anyone but the Toast Man, West Virginia Power? Uh, Definitely the most entertaining fan in all of minor league baseball. Maybe if I was a season ticket holder at West Virginia, maybe I'd be a little annoyed by this guy. I mean, he, of course, is known first and foremost for throwing toast into the crowd. When the power moved into their current ballpark, the team made sure that there was an outlet in front of his seat. He has a first row seat behind home plate, and there's an outlet in front of his seat so he can plug in his toaster. And then (laughs) after... any there's any opposing team strikeout he yells your toast and throws toast in the crowd but that's only like that's what gets the most attention and that's uh he's the toast man but i mean he researches his opponents he'll heckle opposing pitchers based on like bad outings they had in college and stuff like that he will have chants lined up for uh, all the home team players specialized uh, signs for players i mean this guy is into it and a little fun fact i mean 
the toast man in real life is a guy named Rod Blackstone, and he's the deputy mayor of uh, Charleston, West Virginia. So deputy mayor by day, toast man yeah, by toast night. Man by night yeah. uh, Eric the peanut guy in Class A short season. Uh, he's been working for the Tri-City Dust Devils uh, since the team began in 2001. Um, you know, was originally for at least a brief time just a peanut guy, but then became the on-field MC. In the later innings, he sells peanuts. Uh, super enthusiastic guy, real nice guy, and uh, again, just a huge part of the uh, franchise and the game day experience. And then in the rookie level, I went to the Appy League, Bluefield, and picked Henry Double Out Belcher. Um, a uh, an older an older uh, gentleman, uh, military vet, and uh, in his retirement, he comes to every single Bluefield Blue Jays games and yells the entire time. And he was fun to interview and talk about. All these individuals I've done separate stories on. Most of them have been featured in uh, my Ben's the Ben's Biz uh, insert set, uh, which is part of Top's pro debut the last two years. Um, so these are guys I've certainly written about in the past. And I said guys, and then realized yes, they are all males, and I apologize on behalf of my gender <laughs> for only choosing males but that's that's for the next that's for the next time yeah. yeah i will i will do my best to recognize uh women as well i'm just i always feel guilty i'm sorry <laughs> there, no this is a fun list though like these these are some of these like you said you know are pretty easy picks like the, the crazy hot dog vendor um, but I feel like a lot of other people don't necessarily know about the crazy characters that happen, you know, across the country. You, your park might have one, um, but uh, some of these guys really take it to another level. Yeah, and I threw honorable mentions in there. There's, of course, other ones. And uh, all these Ben's Best articles, I agonize over who I'd leave out. And certainly, like, uh, in this one, I thought, oh, man, Class A short season. Like, I love Eric the Peanut Guy, but maybe I should have gone with Rashawn, the director of Smiles for the Williamsport Crosscutters. Like, and, you know, so I always will second-guess uh, certain things like uh, such as that. And, uh, but that's why I include the honorable mentions uh, so that, uh, you know, you can click and learn more about them. And, of course, with all these stories, you know, get in touch and let me know what I'm missing. And, uh, you know, let's make it a dialogue. Yeah, so this continues to roll along. You know, by the time this podcast is out, you'll have another list out. Uh, tease that a little bit. It's on ballpark features. It's not we've done ballparks in general, ballpark views. Now this is features. Yeah, I wanted I, I, originally the idea was quirks, but then I thought some of these things aren't necessarily quirks, but these are aspects of ballparks that are unique and very specific to that place. So um, stay tuned for that. It'll be out. Uh, yeah, the same day as this podcast. So uh, read that. The next in the series, and then I think I'm going to end the series with. Another best best of, but uh, you know, a little bit different. Not so much about the ballpark experience, but because we will th- at that point be you know closing out on uh, you know the the new team unveiling season. I'm just going to choose all my favorite logos from each level because I know people Ooh. people will want to uh, you know chime in on that. So I think that's going to finish it up, and then after that, the winter meetings. And uh, after that, I'll be on vacation, and uh, then we'll start talking 2019. I know, yeah. Well, speaking of winter meetings, winter meetings are in Vegas. Vegas has announced that they will be announcing a new identity on the 8th, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right before the winter meetings. Yeah, the winter meetings uh, start officially on December 9th. On December 8th, uh, Las Vegas, formerly the 51s, will be announcing their new team name. And uh, that'll roll right into the winter meetings in Vegas. So it's Vegas will be... Uh, very big, much on our minds. Yeah, here a big part weeks. of uh, they are the team of December for sure. And of course, the uh, new name that they're unveiling is in conjunction with the team moving into a new ballpark in 2019. Uh, one of three new ballparks in 2019 with uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, uh, being one, and the other being one of Amarillo. I almost, yeah, bl- oh, I almost man, blanked. I almost blanked for a second. I was like, Sam, save me! But <laughs> I it came to mind Amarillo. The three new ballparks in 2019: Amarillo, Las Vegas, and Fayetteville. There you go. All right, so that'll wrap it up for this week. Thank you. Ben, we'll talk to you next week. We will, and uh, I hope you enjoyed having me sit on your right. Final segment. What a great job Sam did this week. Did a great job, Sam. Great job, Sam. I I feel like you should listen and edit the segments before you say this. Sam, great job. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> That's what I think. Um, yeah. So uh, vibes. Uh, yeah, now now that Tyler is back on the show, instead of as you guys just heard, as Tyler will hear, Mom when he has tried to keep me out of this conversation. Right, I will I will not be dissuaded. 
we know we no longer have to speak for you as we did last segment. What what are your initial thoughts as the actual Colorado win on this podcast? Um, you know, I'll try to water them down some. <laughs> um, I uh, I don't know. I thought when it was announced, like maybe it would uh, it would grow on me a little bit. Um, I don't know. It's if it was a team in Boulder, I think Rocky Mountain vibes is a fitting type of concept um and this is not something that really will matter to anybody outside of the local area and i know that so many of these redesigns are done um with a a larger perspective in mind than just the local area and this is something that was done with the entire state in mind although i don't think you know minor league baseball is is really a uh an institution that a state takes pride in necessarily um at least not a state with with four major sports franchises but um it's just kind of odd to me like it doesn't it doesn't really the the identity of colorado springs doesn't encapsulate what i think the cliche rocky mountain vibes like what that whole uh, stereotype of the state is the one place in the state that does not identify with that, at least in, in the perspective of people who live here, um, or at least in terms of the, the people who live in Denver, the people that I know, the people that I've talked to, Colorado Springs is not that. Um, so that kind of strikes me as interesting about it. Um, I think we've also hit the, uh, I think we've hit the point where the brands have all capitalized on putting the C from the Colorado state flag, just haphazardly in anything and everything uh, to capitalize on that and, and take a chunk of the, the revenue derived from just slapping the state flag onto things, which, Hey, you know, it's more power to you. If you're going to be able to do it and make money off it, go for it. Uh, I know the Nashville sounds did a thing, um, which I think was a little more inventively done with the, a home plate logo that included the three stars from the Tennessee state flag, which I thought was really cool because they is, as they described it to me, it's home. So we put it in a home plate design logo, and that's an instantly recognizable element of the Tennessee state flag. I thought that was kind of cool. Just slapping the C in the middle of Rocky Mountain, you know, seems kind of obvious. Um, but, uh, you know, I would have liked Happy Campers. I think Happy Campers would have been great. I don't think it's that much of a mouthful. I think it flows way better than uh, than Big Mouths. Um I don't know. Vibes to me smacks of the the late 90s craze of naming teams after abstract concepts. And that's just a little odd. Right. Me. We That's something Ben and I talked about, trying to think of like other teams out there. There's I brought yeah. up the Utah Jazz. He brought right. up the Greenville Drive. Yeah, exactly. Um, we had a, a team here. Um, the uh, There was a, a forerunner to the WNBA. We talked about this off air a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about this name. Um, and uh, they were the explosion with an X. There was no E. It was just the explosion. When the Avalanche relocated here from Quebec, there there was uh apparently there were like trademark filings and everything that team was going to be named the rocky mountain extreme uh which i believe just had an x also which would have been the most 90s dumbest thing ever could you imagine nowadays in 2018 calling a team the extreme like just the dumbest spot so this just kind of i don't know it smacks of that to me which you know, whatever. It gets people talking, and as we know, that is the brandiose MO. As long as they get people talking, positively or negatively, they consider it a success. So um, the s'mores thing with the, the sunglasses. I mean, at least he's not swinging a bat. That's a new that's a new angle, I guess, logo-wise. Right. Well, um, what, one thing I'll give them credit for that Ben brought up that I, I really like and I didn't say while he was saying it um, was the idea of, like, this will be this could create, like, a ballpark atmosphere that I think is going to be really interesting, not just like vibes and like vibes is an atmosphere. Like the idea of it being like different sections of the park are designed around certain vibes and certain like camping aspects and that kind of thing. It's just when you're a pioneer league team, I feel like you need to do something that's going to draw people in that isn't the baseball. Um, And especially in a, you know, a formerly triple a market that's hasn't drawn well, doesn't have all the bells and whistles at the ballpark ballpark isn't centrally located. Um, I mean, they do need to do something different. Right. So I think this is a real opportunity for them to kind of tap into that. That's a full identity. It's not just a team name with some nice hats and some nice jerseys. I think there's a real chance to own it. Um, Yes. Is that going to fit in with that, 
that community, like you said, which is a little bit more conservative, a little bit more militaristic, um, we'll have to see. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll talk about something else in the next three years if this doesn't quite work. But I think that can't be overlooked. What else is going to be involved in this other than just a fresh cone of paint and some new logos? That's what genuinely surprises me. We talked about this off air a little bit, but if and not to make this into a, a political thing, but if you're breaking down Colorado by red and blue, Colorado Springs is the deepest blood red part of the state. And uh, it's home to the United States Air Force Academy and Fort Carson. And there's a lot of military installation. NORAD is in Colorado Springs. There's a lot of military installations. There is a huge military backbone to that city and to not have gone that route i mean if you're going to try to monetize your product and draw people in from your local community that's the most obvious uh demographic to target in colorado springs and so that really surprised me just taking out the the emotional element of being somebody who grew up here went to sky Sox games as a kid and kind of you know understands the area even if i was looking at it from new york city and had never been to colorado and knew nothing about colorado springs other than that that seems like the most obvious route to go so to not go that way um just kind of struck me as as interesting and i'm not saying that one is right or one is wrong but you would think if it was just a you know a a concept of let's go at what's going to most closely capture the identity of the local community that would have been it um i think this is a more regionally minded uh rebranding and and that's fine and maybe it's gonna go great um but you know i uh i i certainly it's uh it's a unique one it's a unique one yeah and yeah and between that and um the the oakland coliseum not the oakland coliseum but like the oakland a's new stadium that came out today and everybody's like oh this is different we can all agree it's different i'm kind of in for different now yeah i will will say that okay i'm happy being creative leaning into something that's not just cookie cutter in the mold and like you said uh you know an animal swinging a bat um doing something a little outside those lines i'm kind of in on at this point as long as it's not stupidly crazy um yeah different is good hardball talk described the a's renderings as teletubbies meets blade runner yeah well i think that 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 was a little harsh yeah (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm just bitter at the Pioneer League because the uh, the Casper Ghosts turned into the Grand Junction Rockies. Like, you could have kept the Ghost. That was the best logo, best uniforms, best name in minor league baseball. Grand Junction Ghosts would have flowed perfectly. And then to just rebrand them the Rockies and give them a kind of redesigned logo that – features the the grand mesa and because which really just looks like the old pizza hut logo (laughs) that's i'm just bitter about that from the pioneer league so maybe that's bleeding over into my vibes reaction bring back the ghosts well i mean you know what they say about ghosts you kill them but they come back oh man he's sam dykstra (laughs) (laughs) now our biggest thanks to gold tucker big thanks to benjamin hill as well and uh no thanks at all to schmomcast internet He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mon. Episode 186 in the books. We'll talk to you next week.